coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and a happy hump day to you. I know the first thing we should be talking about is the very last thing I was talking about as the show ended, because as the show ended, the indictments dropped. Jack Smith and the indictments, more indictments against former President Donald Trump. But you know what? Let's let's just deviate, just, just to start the show, because the fatigue is setting in, right? I, I, the right calls it Trump derangement syndrome, but honestly... How is it that those who are opposed to him ascending again to the presidency, how are we the deranged ones? The 54% of the GOP that is lockstep, ready to support him again as the nominee of that party. That's the, there's, there's the batch of deranged folks, right? I mean, I mean, come on. I I, I find myself looking on Twitter and tuning on the radio and, and hearing folks like Eric Erickson and going, yeah, you know, this guy's this guy's finally had his fever break and he he's been at this for a while now and it's uh it's it's affecting his popularity among his base. It's just interesting. Um well, let's talk about something else cuz I'm just I'm so fatigued by it. More indictments. In fact, <laughs> speaking of Eric Erickson, I I noticed a tweet from earlier today where he was talking about the indictments and he goes, oh, this is probably the weakest batch." How sad is it that we're now to the point where we're going to start seeing polls and gotcha clickbait on social media? Uh, Trump indictments ranked from toughest to least toughest or best to worst. <laughs> It'll be one of those slide slide things, you know, where you have to hit hit the slide button to get to the next page. <laughs> That's where we are. Now, I thought it would be interesting to talk about dangerous roadways. Um Highway 27, the Martha Berry Highway that kind of cuts all the way from the top of Georgia down into Florida, uh, almost traipsing along the Georgia-Alabama line, uh, named one of the most feared roadways in the entire country. Uh, according to an article in uh, the Columbus Ledger Inquirer, a survey of 3,000 road trippers identified that highway one of the most scary roads in the country. The Martha Barra Highway is a U.S. Route 27, 44th most feared route in the entire country. It's about 356 miles of highway, again, that spans the length of the state. Uh, and goes, actually, I didn't know this, goes all the way to Fort Wayne, Indiana. The uh, southern route will take you all the way to Tallahassee, Florida. I've done a lot of Highway 27 now that I think about it. Um, it does run through Columbus, LaGrange, Rome, Georgia, um, it'll take you through Callaway Resort and Gardens, uh, Watauga State Forest. Uh, I, I happen to know this because I just did this over the weekend. It'll take you up towards Cloudland Canyon State Park. Uh, and I must also mention that uh, in some of the towns in that particular area, watch your speed, like legit. I, I had someone in the car who actually knew where the local 5.0 was hanging out to get you because there are stretches of that highway in particular, where you can go from the speed limit 65 to, hey, we're just warning you it's going to go down to 45 and a tenth of a mile. Get to 45 now. And lo and behold, there's where local Johnny Copper is sitting there in a driveway waiting to get you on an expansive five-lane stretch of 27 without much traffic on it. Yet, please slow down as you're entering, what is it, Tryon? Yeah, there's a nice little trappage there. But it's scenic. Oh my gosh, it's scenic as heck up there. Love it. Absolutely love it. 
Can't speak much for the rest of it, but like up in Northwest Georgia, 27 is chef's kiss. Now, reading as to why it's one of the scariest in the country and the scariest in Georgia, the survey ranks the roads uh, as feared routes. The uh, top five listed dangers include uh, high temperatures, okay. uh, minimal services, <laughs> desolate locations with long stretches between towns and limited visibility. Okay. And looking at the top 10, only, oh, only really two southern routes. That would be uh, uh, Route 50 in, I'm sorry, the Mountain Parkway in Kentucky and uh, Route 49 in Mississippi. Go south. Now, while I'm trying to put off the discussion about the latest batch of indictments, the ones that Eric Erickson say is the weakest batch, <laughs> again, we're ranking them now. That's where we are. Uh, let's at least discuss how the Republican Party is reacting to the Department of Justice. Well, predictably by seeking to defund the DOJ. The Department of Justice, which kind of sounds like defunding the police, defunding law enforcement, but... So now they're for it? Huh. Uh, Georgians, uh, Congressman Mike Collins, Marjorie Taylor Greene, among a block of conservative lawmakers, according to the AJC, who seek cuts to the Department of Justice in retaliation, because retaliation for political reasons is the adult way to go, uh, in retaliation for the four-count charges that were levied against Donald John Trump, by Special Counsel Jack Smith in the U.S. District Court yesterday in Washington. Uh, Mike Collins released a statement saying that Congress has the power of the purse. As we continue the appropriations process next month, we must cut as much funding from the corrupt Department of Justice as possible. Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, had said that she would not, quote, vote to fund these communist organizations, communist organizations that are doing the bidding of Joe Biden. Representative Rich McCormick decided to take the, well, what about route, uh, saying, how about we focus on what works for the economy, energy, immigration, and freedom, like uh, DeSantis just laid out. He, of course, has endorsed Ron DeSantis, interestingly enough. He's also one of those Congress people who could have his district redrawn, which might make him expendable. Just saying. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, uh, uh, Congressman McCormick, we should be working for the economy, energy, and immigration. However, your party controls the House and has done absolutely nothing except to contribute to the Fitch downgrade of America's credit rating now from uh, AAA to AA+. Uh, so what's that going to do for our economy? And, and what has the GOP done uh, as far as energy policy aside from <clears throat> drill, baby, drill? And speaking of immigration, immigration policy like, I don't know, coming to the table and discussing some options with the other part. That, that, that's the thing. Nothing can ever be solved about immigration more because you have one party that just chooses to not even show up to the table to discuss options. It's their way or the highway well, or the, the wall <laughs> and then complaining when nothing gets accomplished because... They don't show up to help accomplish anything. And again, it just kills me how the instant reaction from the right is, well, defund that outfit, defund that branch of government, defund them. They mock defunding the notion of defunding the police, which actually wasn't a defunding of the police as much as a reallocation of the funds given to law enforcement to include some other measures like mental health, 
But with the right, I mean, they're literally like the dog that sniffs something they don't like. They hike their leg and they piss on it. That's what they want to They just want to be done with the Department of Justice now uh, until they need to weaponize it. Lock her up, lock her up. Uh, Benghazi. <laughs> this is just comical. They, they want to defund the Justice Department when they're not in control. They want to strip the IRS of uh, necessary funding. All of that talk in the last election cycle about, oh my God, the tens of thousands of new agents. Yes, to replace the tens of thousands of retiring agents. It's like to, to, to replace those that are leaving with new ones coming in. And oh, by the way, here we are coming up on the era of artificial intelligence and foreign hacking gone amok. And the IRS has to keep up with that stuff too, you know? Education, the FDA, the ATF, the FBI, they always want to defund or underfund something that they find inconvenient to themselves or their backers. As for how the presidential hopefuls reacted yesterday, DeSantis stated, as president, I will end the weaponization of government, replace the FBI director, who, by the way, I believe was put in by Donald Trump, uh, and ensure a single standard of justice for all Americans in a tweet. He continued, while I've seen reports, I have not read the indictment. And there you go. I do, though, believe we need to enact reform so that Americans have the right to remove cases from Washington, D.C. to their home districts. Ah, a little home cooking. Washington, D.C. is a swamp, and it is unfair to have to stand trial before a jury that is reflective of the swamp mentality, he went on to add. Concluding, one of the reasons our country is in decline is the politicization of the rule of law. Hmm. No more, lock her up, lock her up. No more excuses, I will end the weaponization of the federal government. That's the guy who suggested that the state of Florida should investigate Bud Light for doing a social media promotion with one six-pack of beer cans. When you look at some of the other GOP presidential hopefuls, Tim Scott, I remain concerned about the weaponization of Biden's DOJ and its immense power used against political opponents in a tweet. What we see today are two different tracks of justice, one for political opponents and another for the son of the current president. Okay... Bring up Hunter Biden stuff. Vivek, a.k.a. who? Ramaswamy. I think the guy's running third right now. Over the, That's how bad it is on the right with their presidential hopeful choices. Uh, he says, if you're going to indict a former president and leading presidential candidate, it better not be based on unprecedented legal theory. Theory. Hmm. Further, it's more than a stretch to call something criminal if someone is seeking legal counsel from their own lawyers. Jack Smith has created a dangerous precedent by criminalizing the behavior of Trump's lawyers who offered him legal advice. Yes, advice that he ignored, uh, labeling them co-conspirators instead. But fear not. There is the tandem of Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie, <laughs> who did have some stern words about the indictment. Uh, but before you go getting excited, Hutchinson is pulling it 0.7%, not 7%, 7 percent but he renewed his call for trump to drop out chris christie polling at a lofty <laughs> by asa standards 1.6 percent tweeted the events around the white house from election night forward are a stain on our country's history and a disgrace to the people who participated this disgrace this disgrace falls the most on donald trump 
He swore an oath to the Constitution, violated his oath, and brought shame to his presidency. Chris is getting no traction. And yet, on that side, he's the only one really speaking with any coherence to the facts. Incidentally, about the only other prominent name on the right, Nikki Haley, as far as presidential field goes, I, I can't see a tweet where she's even addressed this. She is focused more on communist China for some reason uh, the last 24 hours or so. So there's that. All right. Uh, next segment, we get from the man himself, Jack Smith. The indictments, uh, he spoke before the media before releasing those indictments. We will have that audio for you coming up in minutes. And by the way, got lots of show notes in case you uh, ever decide, hey, I want to check out what Ron's actually talking about. I do that every day. Show notes for you available at ronshowatl.com. All right. Back in just a few minutes, this is The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. So here we are doing a show after Ho-Hum, a former president, gets indicted. Happens all the time, right? I mean, lately... Lately, it does. What are we at, like 70 charges? Oh, my God. That is more charges levied against one former president of the United States than basketball teams we allow to play in the NCAA basketball tournament. What are we at? 64, 60, 60, yeah, 68 teams. Donald Trump has more indictments than teams in March Madness. So there you go. Uh, Jack Smith with the announcement yesterday. Good evening. Today... An indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. The indictment was issued by a grand jury of citizens here in the District of Columbia, and it sets forth the crimes charged in detail. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. Absolutely. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives on the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. Mm -hmm. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. In the meantime, I must emphasize that the indictment is only an allegation and that the defendant must be presumed innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. I would like to thank the members of the Federal Bureau of Investigation who are working on this investigation with my office 
as well as the many career prosecutors and law enforcement agents from around the country who have worked on previous January 6th investigations. These women and men are public servants of the very highest order, and it is a privilege to work alongside them. Thank you. Again, far be it for me to give the GOP some advice on how to better handle the Trump situation, because they've been unable to handle it very well since 2015. They've had many times to put the parachute on and get off <laughs> get off the swirling plane, and they just don't do it. Chris Christie, my God, Chris Christie of all people, Asa Hutchinson, bless his heart, Maybe Asa thinking this is the way to relevance. Not really. These are the few voices. Will Hurd. Oh, okay. So nobody knows who the hell Will Hurd is either. But he, by the way, is running for president. He may wind up being one of the no labels candidates who runs a third party. This is where we are. The GOP has so. Liz Cheney, who got booted from her congressional seat in Wyoming because her constituents. Didn't think she was Republican. Liz Cheney, the daughter of a former vice president, Dick Cheney, not Republican enough because she didn't support Donald Trump and decided to seek, I don't know, justice by being part of the J6 committee in the first place. The GOP has had many opportunities, again, to get off of the diving plane. The parachutes have been given to them many times to impeachments. We saw glimmers of this after January 6th. That night, as a matter of fact, on the Senate floor, count me out. I'm at Lindsey Graham. Count me out. I am out at Kevin McCarthy with his state. Oh, and then back to bootlicking days later at Mar-a-Lago. They, they just can't get off the Trump teat. And I, I don't, I mean, I guess they just look at, well, 54% of our party wants to say, but is that your party? Is that your party? And if you give those 54% no option but to choose someone else, would they not? Are you so afraid, Republican politician, pundit, fanatic, that to get off the Donald Trump train is to spell doom to your party when actually being on the Trump train has not been been very good for your party. You, you didn't get the red wave you wanted in 2022. You lost the 2020 election. You lost the popular vote in 2016 against a fairly unpopular Democratic nominee then. And all you can do now is go head-to-head in a 43-43 percentage point split with a president who is in his 80s This is like one of those Walking Dead scenarios. Oh, no, the zombie bit my arm. I either have to cut the arm off and live without the arm or keep the arm and just die because the illness, the virus, is going to travel throughout the rest of my body. Well, that's, I mean, almost, that is such an analogy for exactly where the GOP is and has been for the most part since 2015. The gilded zombie took a bite out of them in 2015-16 in the presidential cycle. They didn't know how to handle him on the dais. The media thought he was quirky and funny and 
oh, we loved watching the Zingers as churlish and grade school as they were. It's the same reason we watch Real Housewives episodes because we love the pot shots, the churlish, immature bullshit. We love that. It's entertaining until it's dangerous and damn near takes our democracy from us. Again, at which point you would think on January 6th that evening, the GOP would be like, oh, pull the plug on this crap. This is absolutely insane. He's going to be not just the ruination of our party, but more importantly, the, well, to them, it's, I think, the other way around. The country, our governance, our way of life, he can single-handedly ruin it if we don't pull the plug on this. But damn it, they refuse to amputate that wounded arm that's going to kill the rest of not just their body, but could infect the country as we know it. Any of you Republican listeners out there, I just don't know what else to say to you. You, you cannot be helped. You just have to keep being outvoted, I suppose. Back after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I feel like this is something of a get for us here on the show. Uh, joining me to discuss uh, the Beltline streetcar expansion and the inexplicable, whatever the hell you want to call it, from Eric Erickson on his syndicated show. George Cheedy joins us. Uh, George has... Uh, Contributed mightily to folks at Decaturish, uh, once a staff writer with the AJC, even a city councilman at some point in time, Fox 5 Atlanta contributor, uh, also now at the Substack for Atlanta Collective, right? Did I cover everything that you do, George? Is there something else you'd like to throw in there? So it's, the, it's the Atlanta objective. The Atlanta objective. Um, uh, and you missed one that's actually relevant right now. Go for it. Uh, for about four years, I was social impact director of Central Atlanta Progress. Mm which is to say I was the guy who worked on homelessness issues downtown for the downtown business district, including on the streetcar. Oh, well, there you go. And while we're on that subject, uh, as, as I have, you have as well listened to the segment uh, that Eric Erickson went off on this bizarre, inane, deranged tangent about the streetcar extension, talking about the urban white elite planners of America uh, – Never mind the fact that the the, the Beltline CEO isn't a, a white anything. Uh, I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, God forbid you have a car where Americans were fundamentally different from Europeans. I uh, went back on to rant about great urban white planning. And then he went off on this whole thing about Europeans and uh, women shaving their armpits, uh, riding a bike with baguettes in the basket, and what else? something about corn cobs in the rectums and all, all this weird stuff. It was just totally bizarre, was it not? I, I think so, but it's also par for the course for Eric Erickson. Mm. Eric Erickson wants desperately to be Rush Limbaugh and can't quite pull it off. Um, he's, been, he's been around for a while. Right. Uh, he and I have been friendly, but he has particularly over the last year or so, like been much more aggressively racist mm. in what he discusses. Mm -hmm. And that's the context you need when you're looking at what he's saying about Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, Listen, being, a being a lifelong Georgian, I know, I know the coded language that he's using and I know the audience he's trying to attract because I grew up in the suburbs outside Augusta, Georgia. Uh, I, I listened to talk radio growing up and uh, I, again, I know the coded language and I know the audience he's seeking to foster a, a warm environment with. And it's, it's 
the, the, the same old tropes about what Atlanta is and homelessness and drug dealers and crack dealers and don't go down there and our, our mass transit sucks, et cetera, and so on. And yet at the same time, here we are trying to address some of the shortcomings with mass transit and he's crapping on it. Well, sure. Like the bit that he was talking about with drug dealers dealing from from the streetcar is a lie. Mm. It's a lie, and I know it's a lie. I've seen the police report. It's untrue. Mm. It's an urban legend that I imagine is being passed to him by, you know, sort of white nationalist yep. you know, people who, like, who intend to denigrate the city of Atlanta. Right. Like that's what they want to do is say, if you are, if there's a black power center in this city, mm-hmm. in this state, mm-hmm. then they must be wrong. Definitionally. Mm-hmm. Like they, they cannot, you cannot govern well. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they're trying to do in Atlanta. Eric Erickson will find fault with it in the most strident and ridiculous possible terms. And that's because that's the audience that he's speaking to. What sort of had me bewildered, and I don't know if he's just ignorant or or pre- prefers to know that his audience isn't aware, is that he he made this this argument that for some reason this nice belt line that we have is going to be ripped up right down the middle, and we're going to put train tracks right down the middle of the thing, as if he's not aware that that's what the green space to the side was set aside for all along. Do you think he doesn't know that or that he's just being willfully? I think, obtuse? I think he doesn't know that. I don't think he knows much about anything broadly. And I think he very specifically doesn't know anything about urban planning mm. because he's hostile to the idea of planning period, mm. like agenda 21 style. Mm. Like that's his, like anybody who tries to actually build out a community where people are living together, working together, like, and especially with sugar on top, if it's a multi-ethnic community, oh, yeah. like it's, it is of the devil. Well, uh, uh, that's where that comes from. Well, they're literally removing the word diversity from Georgia education standards. So no, you're absolutely right. Diversity is a dirty word to them. I, I, as I, as, as I, I hate to harp on just how inane this, this, this Randy went on yesterday was, he was talking about how like European cities haven't won Super Bowls and SEC championships. And it's like, um, Atlanta hasn't won a Super Bowl either, but that's another matter. But, uh, still, what does that have to do with us being a hospitable city with mass transit option and making the place more, he, he raved about Greenville being a walkable city and here we're trying to make ours a more walkable city. Well, that's exactly it. So Eric Erickson is speaking to an audience that has of late been worried about something called like a 15 minute city, um, which is a, a planning concept that says that you should be, live within a 15 minute walk mm. of all of the things you need to be a happy human being. Mm-hmm. Like, the work you do, the schools you do, the like restaurants, bars, getting a haircut, going to the you know mall or whatever, like that. Yeah. That you shouldn't have to get in a car if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that devalues suburbs, and yep. extra special on sugar on top devalues the sort of white. Ex-urban, sort of semi-rural 
like the the folks who engaged in white flight and their children Mm -hmm. from places like Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It says, you are living in a place now that is less valuable, that is less chic, that is less desirable um, than a city. And that his audience doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. And so like when they like they're it's, it's fruit loopy. It's, it's on Mars kind of, it's part of this sort of weird, like we're in the wrong fork of the multiverse kind of existence right now that started like a year before Donald Trump was elected to office mm. where, um, Anything that is European and is socialist and therefore bad. And so if it is a European concept, it must be evil. And of course, liberals in the United States must be wanting to engage in that because they are similarly evil. Mm. And that's where this comes from. It is of a part. Which is sort of bewildering because where Americans tend to go on vacations are in cities or Europe. And uh, if not there, they go to theme parks that have downtowns and Main Street USAs. That's what I don't understand. You you actually like to vacation in places where you enjoy walkability, but you don't want others to enjoy it just in their everyday existence. No, I mean you don't like it's the other side of this is Atlanta is becoming a political power center, mm-hmm. very much so. Yeah, like. Four generations, and you grew up in Georgia, so you understand this better than most. Uh, a Republican won, a conservative won in Georgia by running against Atlanta. Right. We're going to keep Atlanta in its place. Yeah. Um, MARTA, in general, is the problem that it is. Uh, it isn't developed in a way that engenders a lot of like transit-oriented development and growth, because conservative white Republicans crippled it starting from the beginning all the way to now. Eric Erickson was complaining about how Marta doesn't go anywhere. And he conveniently ignores the fact that these ex-urban white flight communities voted against allowing Marta to expand into their community. Bingo. The, uh, I mean, literally Cobb County created a 10-yard-wide city on paper mm-hmm. at the border mm-hmm. in order to prevent Atlanta from ever being able to annex into Cobbs County. <laughs> like, that's how strident they were about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, ironically, now, they, they, they have a destination yeah. at that spot, at the Battery, that desperately needs a rail line to it connecting the city of Atlanta to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll happen. Maybe that'll happen sometime soon. Now that Cobb County is, you know, sort of flipped to a to a bluish county, uh, maybe sometime in the future that'll happen. But in the meanwhile, oh, soon in in terms of like twenty years from now, right? Like, yeah. I'm at the earliest. Yeah. Like the the problem here is like so when I was an AJC reporter, mm-hmm. the Beltline was under discussion mm-hmm. in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. It has taken this long <laughs> to get this far. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, it's expensive. Right. Um, but if you're going to have a city that's going to look like New York in 20 and 30 and 50 years, and honestly, the way things are growing, like we are living in New York in 1910. Mm. Um, you've, got to, you've got to spend the money now so that you don't have 
crazy problems later. And that does seem to be, I mentioned this in the prior segment, that seems to be at the crux of what the problem is in this state with regards to how to handle Atlanta's growth. There is no vision from the right. They don't care to see vision. They want to widen what we have, interstates. They want to come up with new off-ramps when we actually could use less. Now they're even talking about building an arena, a hockey arena, up in Forsyth County, while MARTA only goes to North Springs. I'm not driving to Forsyth to watch a concert or a hockey match or anything like that up in Forsyth if I don't have the option of just taking that train. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not alone. Like, and that's and that's the thing. I and the thing I actually fear. Let me step back for a second. Mm-hmm. Like, I am talking a lot about white supremacy and white, you know, sort of the sort of white nationalist nonsense that you hear from from people like Eric Erickson. But look, there are actually a lot of white families in suburban and rural metro Atlanta that are struggling. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason they're struggling is because they're completely disconnected from services, because the transportation system is as crap as it is. You're right. Um, like, if we don't find a way to sort this out long term, it hurts everybody. Yep. And the problem with Republican policymaking right now is that it is absolutely oriented toward one policy goal, and that is prevent black political power from taking root and having influence. If there is a public policy that is more likely to hurt black people than white people, they're for it. If there's a public policy that is more likely to help black people than white people, they're against it, even if white people are getting help. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where this comes from. Right. Like, oh, my goodness, you like all the money you're spending on this, this thing that's in the middle of Atlanta, which is controlled by black people. My God, if it's actually successful, heaven help us. If it's actually successful, because it means black people know what they're doing, and right. we can't have that. There's something to be said for that. No, you're absolutely right. Well, and but I'll even expound on that. Like, I mean, I know we're sitting here talking about uh, the uh, streetcar going alongside the Beltline, which, again, was the plan all along. Atlanta, by the way, used to have an extensive streetcar network before white flight. But mm-hmm. at the same time, to the south of us, we see a state as dysfunctional as Florida is. They do have high-speed rail coming to most of that state. And we are the state with the world's busiest airport and yet do not have any sort of light-speed or high-speed rail connecting Athens and Chattanooga, Columbus, Macon, uh, Augusta, Georgia, all of these feeder markets that all use the airport. That's why there are airport shuttle businesses from all of those cities. But we don't even have that. When you talk about accessibility, that's a glaring weakness. And would tie in greatly with MARTA and a streetcar network that would get folks around the city while they're here if they're on a labor or you know, want to get here early and, and, and kill some time before they catch a flight. Again, it's just a lack the of vision. Irony here, it, 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 you would think. The irony is that there has been vision. It's, I would argue that it's not a lack of vision. It's a lack of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, a lack of political will. Mm. When I came into, for example, when I came into the AJC in 2005, one of the big issues that they were discussing in Gwinnett, but also in Atlanta, was something called the brain train. Mm. Do you remember the brain train? Okay, connecting the University um, of Georgia, right? Connecting the University of Georgia through Gwinnett. Mm-hmm. 
south along rail lines that we already know are there, mm-hmm. straight to Georgia Tech. Mm. Um, the I mean, it's a very good idea. It would have gone from Georgia Tech through Emory, yeah. like the like the the rights of way are there. Mm-hmm. The problem is the state was unwilling to use whatever leverage it had to force Norfolk Southern and the other rail lines to surrender capacity on those lines to passenger rail. Mm. Yeah, there was a political vision for it. Like the whole idea was led by a former Republican state representative. Mm. Um, And it went nowhere. And it went nowhere because in part, people don't want to empower these quote, liberal, unquote, power centers. Like, they don't want a connection between Athens and Atlanta. They don't want those places to be connected because they don't like the people that come to places like that because it throws the politics of the state off. Okay, stand by. More conversation with George Cheedy from the Atlanta Objective after the break on The Ron Show, America One Radio, or wherever you podcast. We're with George Cheedy, who is talking with us about the Atlanta streetcar expansion Moving its way along now onto the Beltline, Eric Erickson went off on this rabid tangent against it, where he basically assumes his audience thinks that the Beltline's being torn in half, rails going right down the middle of it. It's going to literally, as he said, mowing pedestrians down inexplicably, while while also, by the way, raving about William Sonoma at the Pond City Market, but this train's not going anywhere. Um, hello, it's going to Pond City Market. Um, George, so we we know what the vision of the Beltline and the streetcar adjacent to it is, but is it why is why is it a hard sell for folks who don't live in Atlanta? We understand the benefits, but shouldn't they as well? Well, you would think. Um, the uh, I mean, part of this is that they're viewing Atlanta as this place they might visit. Yep. Like they're perfectly willing. Like, and we're talking about Eric Erickson's listeners. Okay. We're talking about folks who are drawn draw a circle around all of the Republicans in the state, divide it in half by how how conservative you are on the left or the right. You're talking about the folks who are on the right side of that line. We're talking about like the quarter of like the most conservative quarter of Atlanta, of of Georgians. Okay. Um or whoever else. Wherever else. Mm-hmm. Like they view the city hostily. Right. They 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 feel like they are hostages to the politics and economy of the city of Atlanta. Well, we are the economic um, engine. Seventy-two percent. Seventy-two percent of the of the of the state's revenue mm-hmm. is derived from activities that happen in a fifty-mile circle around the city of Atlanta. That's right. The city of Atlanta is how things work in Georgia. And if you're here and you've got a job, it's probably tied to something going on in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the idea that all of this revolves around policy that's being made by a city council that's majority black and a mayor that's black uh, of of the last five or six or seven or eight mayors mm-hmm. in Atlanta, um, and the idea that this area regionally has been growing and is successful and by any meaningful standard by the national standards has been successful for middle class and upper class white people Mm -hmm. i might add more than black people 
Um, the idea that they have to give some sort of credit to African American leadership is galling. It is that it's overflow from the backlash to Barack Obama's election. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually when Eric Erickson started making his bones was how much he detested Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, you know, his ascension upset a lot of folks on the right, especially uh, within the conservative pundit movement. No doubt about that. Uh, and obviously, it, it ascended with Donald Trump's uh, presidency. Uh, the things that you hear people complain about Atlanta who aren't from Atlanta are the very things that they seem to be against us dealing with. And we're talking about gridlock and crime. Obviously, uh, crime disappears where opportunity exists. I've always said crime only exists where opportunity doesn't. And so efforts to stem that by creating opportunity are always stopped or or blockaded by conservative policy. And obviously here we are trying to deal with the gridlock problem by giving our citizens and folks who visit other transit opportunities and they just won't have it. They just don't wish it to be. So I think you're you're sort of in my bailiwick now. Like so, my work right now, I write about poverty and inequality, mm-hmm. uh, primarily for the Intercept and for the Atlanta Objective, which is a, a newsletter I started looking at crime and poverty mm-hmm. in the city of Atlanta. Ninety mm-hmm. percent um, of the people who are charged with a crime of violence in Atlanta are poor. Mm-hmm. Poor like can't must be given publicly funded council poor yeah um the uh, rich people don't kill each other right because they don't have to they can sue someone mm-hmm. um the uh like and this is sort of part and parcel of that it, like atlanta is among the most unequal cities in the united states for right. a long time it was the most unequal i think we may actually be giving that up to san francisco right now correct um but the average income of a white household as of two years ago in the city of Atlanta was over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And for a black household, it's about $33,000 a year. Um, and that is amongst the, the, the widest gaps in the United States. Right. Um, where the, the belt line is among the only places in this city, this tremendously class and race divided city Mm -hmm. where you will see black people and white people in the same space interacting with each other on an equal footing. Um, That two people like Eric Erickson is terrifying. Yeah. It's anathema to their way of life and their ideology. Absolutely. No, I don't disagree with that. You know what? We got to get you on the show more often and I'm glad we finally connected. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to store your number. You store my number. Let's catch up and talk this out some other time. I've got plenty more we can discuss when we talk about poverty and inequality in the city of Atlanta. But uh, I want to thank you so much for having a discussion about the streetcar and the Beltline and its vision and where Atlanta's going with it. And uh, again, thank you for, I'm sorry I made you listen to the Eric Erickson piece, but it had to be listened to. I'm sorry. I I was just stunned when I listened to it myself yesterday. So The, the The things I do provide <laughs> out of civic virtue. How do you need me? Absolutely. George Chidi, we appreciate that from the, uh, give me, give me that again. The, uh, the Substack was the Atlanta the objective. Atlanta objective. Yeah. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
We'll have a link in today's show notes to the Atlanta Objective so you can check out that Substack for yourself. George Chidi is a fantastic follow, by the way, on Twitter. That is C-H-I-D-I. I'll also have uh, yesterday's podcast link so that you can hear this nuttiness from Eric Erickson for yourself. You enjoy your evening doing that if you wish. We're back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio or wherever you podcast.